You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Swamp 247 Podcast. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined once again by my co-host, Jacob Rudner. And we are here to discuss, I don't want to oversell it, but I would say a pretty monumental victory for the Florida Gators, considering how it went down considering Florida's road woes this season, not even just this season, but really throughout the entire Billy Napier era prior to Saturday. And Florida, if you were watching, looked down and out with about five minutes left to play, trailing by 10 points on the road at South Carolina. It looked like Florida was going to fall to the Gamecocks, but the Gators pulled it out in dramatic fashion, Ricky Pearsall with a go-ahead touchdown with just around 47 seconds left to play. And Florida holds on, takes a safety at the end purposefully. I know a lot of people were screaming for them to do what Miami could not do and take a knee at the end of the game. Florida ends up securing the win anyway. And Jacob and I are here to talk all about it this week. We're just going to get right into it. Jacob, Florida's offensive performance, it was a historic night for Graham Mertz. I think any remaining doubters out there about his ability to lead Florida's offense. We've talked about the explosion and there are still some things left to be desired and certainly some things that Graham Mertz could have done better. It was his lowest completion percentage yet with the Gators, but he goes for 423 yards, three touchdowns, Florida's first fourth quarter comeback in nearly four years from Florida's offensive standpoint. What did they do well in your mind? I know we just touched on Graham Mertz, but we saw them go to a lot of their underclassmen weapons, whether it was Arliss Boardingham, Eugene Wilson, those guys came up huge on the final drive. What did you see from Florida's offense that impressed you? Maybe some things still that need to be worked on. What was your overall takeaway just of this Florida offensive performance against the Gamecocks? Yeah, well, I think I want to start by calling back to what we talked about on this show last week, Graham, and that was that this was going to be an opportunity for Florida to really fire on all cylinders offensively in a way that we hadn't quite seen so far this season, including 
deep passes and involving receivers in that intermediate range. That was going to be a key part of this game, and we knew that going into the contest, just with the way that South Carolina had been playing previously. The defense was not good against the pass. Uh, they ranked last in the SEC in yards per attempt and passing yards per game. So there was going to be plenty of opportunity for the Gators to open things up, you know, to receivers like Ricky Pearsall down the field, which proved pivotal in, in, towards the end of the game with a, with a game-winning reception of for over 20 yards. Uh, Graham Mertz had over 200 passing yards of his 423 on explosive plays. Ricky Pearsall and Graham Mertz talked after the game about how they knew that that was something that they would hopefully one day be able to get into, and the confidence that was born from being able to do so is very significant, and they knew that pretty much immediately after the game was over. Uh, you mentioned some of the younger players, Eugene Wilson, Arliss Boardingham, both looked good in the contest. Uh, Trevor Etienne was effective when called upon, nine rushes for 49 yards and a touchdown, which is a very good performance. Um, this was a complete game. You know, I, I, I think, again, you can point to some things like, you know, we would have loved to have seen uh, Florida keep Graham Mertz a little bit cleaner in the pocket with some better protection, uh, or at least some more consistent protection. I think that when when Florida's offensive line was playing well in the contest, it was playing really well. And it was giving Mertz the time to kind of get through his reads and, and complete some of those bigger shot plays that we hadn't seen with so much consistency uh, throughout the previous part of the season, throughout the previous six games. Uh, but when it was off, sure, it was it was a little bit uh, tough to watch. And there were plays where Graham Mertz was shaken up, and we've seen that multiple times so far this season. Uh, you know, he's had to come out of a game at one point, a, a tough, tough guy who in this contest kept getting off and, and didn't have to come out of the game. And so, uh, you know, I was impressed by Graham Mertz's toughness again. I was impressed by uh, Florida's ability to incorporate its receivers down the field in, in a way that we hadn't quite seen so far this season. Ricky Pearsall was excellent. 10 receptions, 166 yards and a touchdown. Eugene Wilson, again, very, very good. Six catches, 83 yards, and additionally three rushes for 10 yards. And you and I can, can get into that in a little bit in a second here. Uh, but in terms of general takeaways, I was impressed with this performance. Uh, it, and 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 it's just kind of what I would like to see Florida do more of moving forward. The eight receivers incorporated with at least one catch. Uh, that diversity in passing offense, I think, is important. Uh, Florida used alignments with some of its players that we hadn't seen too much of in previous weeks. I thought that was really important and positive. Um, yeah, a lot of good, Graham, from, from this contest. And, you know, I think that this is a, a an opportunity to really – lock in some habits both before games in terms of practices and how they're getting ready for being a better offensive team and also their in-game habits and the things that they're doing to try and score points uh, and to be successful. So was it a win over a quality opponent and a tough offense? No. And I don't think anybody's going to try and sell that to you or tell you that it was, but was it a really positive way to close out what we'll call the first half, you know, it's seven games, but now as Florida's essentially mid-season bye week, uh, the first half of the year, Absolutely, really important for Florida to be able to get this win on the road, no less. Uh, you know, something that you and I had talked about last week where Florida has really struggled. Another fact that I think is important, uh, this is Florida's first game under Billy Napier and now seven opportunities where it did not win the first quarter, meaning its, op its opponent had a better score uh, after 15 minutes and the Gators still won the game. So the resiliency was impressive. Uh, I thought, you know, mechanically Florida looked really good, the best we've seen so far this year. The play calling, which we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, uh, has been, you know, something that's kind of come under fire in, in previous weeks and deserves an equal amount of credit now. Florida did a really good job uh, in designing this game and executing that game plan. Uh, all things considered, Florida's most impressive win under Billy Napier to date, in my opinion. And yes, 
that includes its previous win over Tennessee this season. Uh, you know, I, I, I've in hindsight uh, started to, you know, come off the Tennessee uh, hype a little, if you will. Uh, and this was a much tougher environment to play in for the Gators. Even go back to last year with that win over Utah, which was really important. Uh, this to me feels like a lot bigger. This feels like the, it was a more pivotal moment uh, in Billy Napier's tenure to date. And in terms of just seeing the progress of this team overall. So just, just so significant and, and Florida deserves its flowers for its performance in this contest for sure. Yeah. I said over the weekend that win over Tennessee isn't aging as well as a lot of Florida fans would like, especially the way that Joe Milton looks right now, not to, you know, rip the man or anything like that, but it's clear that he's not a Hendon hooker type quarterback for the volunteers. And even though they ended up, you know, securing that win over the Aggies, it, does not look to be the powerhouse that you saw last year in Knoxville. But for Florida to be able to pick up wins, regardless of where they come in the SEC, I think is vital. We've talked often about the competition in the league, and you even see Vanderbilt being able to score, what, 20 points against the two-time reigning national champion. So just to get wins in the SEC, especially with the slate Florida has, we've said this time and time again, the Gators have to pick up wins wherever they can get them. And you mentioned that, this being the most impressive win of Billy Napier's tenure, I think people would still some point to that Utah win going back to last season, but how this game unfolded where Florida had to mount a comeback. I may have to eat a little bit of crow right now because I had said that this was not really an offense that was conducive to coming back, especially from a double digit deficit late in the game. We have, I think been fairly critical of Florida's, pace of play in the fourth quarter when trailing the if you want to call it lack of urgency if you want to use that phrase that has been something that people have pointed to they would like to see Florida come out with a little more urgency and I think you saw that on the opening drive where Florida scores in less than what four minutes and 15 seconds a lot of no huddle you know I, I made a joke that Florida fans of past would have said oh that's a scripted drive let's see how it unfolds the rest of the way but Florida was able to adapt and maintain its success despite I think a really not a great South Carolina defense but you saw Shane Beamer's frustration after the game they thought that they made a lot of really good play calls and just could not capitalize against this Florida offense so I do think you know you mentioned it the play calling was impressive in my mind you have to give some credit there and you talked about Eugene Wilson having six catches one of those wasn't intended for him it was a critical moment in the game where he's able to extend that drive off a tipped ball off Ricky Pearsall's hands. And then the Gators end up capitalizing moments later. That is sometimes just things go your way. You have to take shots downfield. You don't know what's going to happen. And we have a quarterback like Graham Mertz who has played relatively turnover free football. I mean, he's been off target at times and he's maybe made some throws he'd like to have back, but his two interceptions still are bobbled balls off of his receiver. So a guy who has shown good decision-making puts it often in a place where his receiver can make the catch. And I thought you saw that repeatedly throughout this game, a very accurate passer. I mean, he threw some great passes to Ricky Pearsall, the over the shoulder grab that was put only where Ricky could get it. The diving catch by Khalil Jackson, just an absolute, I, I thought some impressive performances from some unheralded pass catchers as well. And I do think you're starting to see the narrative shift a little bit when it comes to Graham Mertz. All of those positives aside that we just talked about, Florida did allow the most points that has given up this season. And I do think that when you break down this defensive performance, they're 
were some sequences the Gators would like to have back. I, I think some people could say that they did lack a little bit of an edge in the beginning of that game. I thought they adapted well. But this is also a really, I thought, impressive performance by a quarterback that we knew could be extremely capable. I think he's one of the better ones in the SEC, even if they don't have the weapons. And we initially thought the offensive line play to make him a potent weapon. But in this game, the Gators, I thought, struggled to have an effective effective pass rush that allowed Spencer Rattler to take his time, go through his progressions, and find an open receiver a lot of the time. And you saw him be very effective against this Florida defense. What did you make of Florida's defensive performance? Was was it bad in your mind? I think it was a little bit of a mixed bag. There was a lot to like. The Gators did get a critical turnover there at the end when South Carolina was looking for a last-ditch effort to pull this victory out from the Gators. Just defensively, I know it's hard to always break down the defensive performance when we're watching it because you don't know how much credit to give the offense. But going back and watching this game defensively, where does Florida stand heading into the bye week in your mind after maybe not their best performance this season against an offense that they were expected to get more pressure against. You noted the sack numbers last year that uh, last week that Rattler had taken this season. We didn't really see much of that to start the game. Just where does this Florida defensive performance stand in your mind based on what we've seen to start the season? Yeah, I, I think this was kind of an area in the game, Graham, where there may have been some concerns highlighted, in my opinion, just with regard to where Florida's defense is at this season. And that's not to take anything away from the first part of the year. I think that Florida's defense, uh, to be clear, before I say anything from this game alone, uh, Florida's defense has, has objectively taken a step in the right direction. I don't think that anybody who's being reasonable in their analysis of where Florida is at as a program uh, and, and its progress year to year would you know reasonably tell you that Florida is moving in the wrong direction defensively. I think that that would be a really extreme claim. Um, that being said, it is clear that some of the things we might have talked about or seen uh, or heard about just you know in fans or or really anybody nationally, uh, you know their opinion of Florida's defense throughout the first five or six games of the season. There are definitely some things that I think maybe weren't necessarily true. Um, Florida has struggled to generate a consistent pass rush. It has just 11 sacks on the season. And remember, that comes against teams like McNeese State, uh, Charlotte, Vanderbilt, all on the schedule. Florida had you know, only one sack against Spencer Rattler in this game against an offensive line that had been surrendering closer to 14% sacks on, on total plays from scrimmage against FBS opponents entering play. Uh, and, and so... You know, it, it, that was a, that's an area of concern. I, I'm not sure that Florida generates enough push up front for some of the skill players that it has. Prince Leo Mielan has been a very consistent winner of his matchups, you know, one-on-one Princely versus offensive lineman. I believe he still leads the nation in the category, actually, through seven weeks of the season. Uh, but, you know, even he has struggled to a degree to be able to find the quarterback and actually complete, you know, a takedown. And, and, and for the most part, even complete pressures, which you know, uh, gives quarterbacks time and, and the better skill you face under center, the, the better those guys are going to perform even in contests where, you know, you are the expected winner of the game or, or, you know, you look at the film like we did last week and, you know, it, it seemed pretty clear to us at the time that Florida was going to have the upper hand in this game, but it was still going to be close. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be because of some offensive explosion by both teams. You know, we saw Florida have, you know, far and away its most impressive offensive performance perhaps of the Billy Napier era to date. 
And I would argue that we saw South Carolina go toe-to-toe with that. It had one of its best offensive performances in recent seasons. And it goes back to what I was just saying. Not necessarily enough pressure put on Spencer Rattler on the times where Florida was able to flush him out of the pocket. It wasn't so effective in bringing him down and actually causing him to make mistakes down the field. He finished the game 23 for 30, passing at 77% for 313 yards and four touchdowns. He did have the late interception, uh, which would seal the game for Florida. And obviously that was critical, but you know we didn't see enough of that until it really mattered. And, and so on one hand, you I guess you could take away that Florida did what it needed to do uh, in the clutch moments. And that's what matters at the end of the day. The game goes down in the win column and everybody can move on. At the same time, it does make me question, you know, what will Florida look like as we get into this second part of the schedule where you're facing, you know, Georgia's offense, where you're facing somebody who I think should be a Heisman finalist and Jaden Daniels in Baton Rouge against Louisiana, Louisiana State. You know, you're going to Columbia, Missouri to face a Missouri team that has also looked significantly better, especially on the offensive side, uh, and, and, and has been able to kind of put some opponents away that I'm not sure many people were expecting to. And then, of course, you close your season out uh, against Florida State. Uh, not an easy part of the schedule at all in terms of who you're facing and, and the offenses in particular that you're going to have to see. Uh, you know, there are concerns about whether or not Florida is going to be able to generate the necessary amount of pass rush in those kinds of games. I also am starting to wonder, uh, you know, about quarterback play for Florida. Uh, you know, the outside of the secondary has not been very consistent so far this season. We've seen Jason Marshall uh, give up some big plays. We saw Jalen Kimber get burnt, I would say, pretty badly throughout this contest, throughout this contest especially early. Uh, Xavier Legette had a fantastic game, specifically matched up against Kimber. Uh, but we've also seen Florida secondary have some clutch moments, even after some breakdowns. You know, I go back to the Jakeem Jackson goal line stand against Vanderbilt, where he gives up a 52-yard reception and then immediately turns around uh, and turns you know the Commodores away. That's not an uncommon thing for, for what we've seen so far this season. So uh, I would say that there are some, some very reasonable yellow flags that could be generated by this contest. Uh, it was the kind of game that makes you wonder, you know, at least in my opinion, what, what is this team going to look like when the competition gets even harder? I mean, this was a tough matchup in front of a hostile road crowd, not necessarily the easiest place to get to. You know, you're sitting in traffic on the bus before you get to the game or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's just not an uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable environment. You're, you know, you're forced to go and win there. Florida's offense did a great job of that. Florida's defense didn't. And, and I would say that this performance was a little more reminiscent uh, of, of what it did at Kentucky in which it lost on the road in, in glorious fashion. Uh, than it would be against, you know, what it did to Vanderbilt uh, or to Charlotte, where it limits, you know, just to seven points or 14 points. Uh, this was this was more of a concerning performance than a beneficial one. Uh, and, and I would say from it, I'm not, you know, sounding the alarms yet, but I do wonder, you know, what this is going to look like uh, against your Jaden Daniels and your KJ Jeffersons and your Jordan Travises of the world, uh, you know, and, and even, you know, Georgia, which just lost its star player, you know, Brock Bowers, tight end, for four to six weeks, he just had surgery on a high ankle sprain. Uh, that offense is, of course, limited by losing him. But at the same time, uh, what is a team that put up, what was it, 52 points against Kentucky? Uh, you know, what? look at what Kentucky did to Florida. What What will Georgia do? It's the number one team in the country for a reason. Uh, and so I, I am curious, is, is what I'll say. I'm curious as to what the response will be uh, from, from this Florida defensive staff, from Florida defensive coordinator Austin Armstrong, and from the players. Uh, you know, they have a bye week to kind of sort through some things and, and figure things out. I know that, you know, floors will be listening. It is, I guess, some news. Uh, affordable practice Tuesday to Thursday this week. 
coaches will use the other days to go on the road for recruiting, uh, but they will still practice, you know, some slower walkthrough type stuff. It's a great opportunity to take a look at in the mirror and, and try and understand maybe what's been plaguing you, uh, especially when you get away from home uh, on the defensive side of the ball and, and how you might be able to correct some of those things moving forward. This is certainly an eye-opening performance in that regard, in my opinion. And, and, and I'll be curious to see where Florida goes from here. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com it's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Yeah, I do think that the defensive response at times, you know, it was not the cleanest performance from Florida defensively. I thought you had several critical penalties that allowed the Gamecocks to extend drives, whether it was, you mentioned Jalen Kimber, he had that critical defensive pass interference penalty early on that allows the Gamecocks to continue marching down the field and, and score. And then, you know, the guy absolutely, I thought, responded. He got a, a huge tackle in the red zone later. They were, it looked like they were playing without Devin Moore um, due to, a, you know, an unknown reason. We'll call it that right now, considering he was on the depth chart. And, you know, Cam Jackson even got hit with a roughing the passer call later in the game that allowed the Gamecocks to continue driving Obviously, Florida has talked about the undisciplined penalties, and there is some stuff that they're going to want to clean up. And before we talk about the bye week and what that opportunity for the week allows the Gators 
to do from cleaning things up, resting, recovery. I think we may have to, I don't know if we want to call it gloat a little bit, but I do think I want to reference our predictions from last week where we talked about the special teams play against the Gamecocks and knowing you, you brought up Beamer ball, how good the Gamecocks can be. Florida saw that last year on the fake punt. You know that they're going to try some fakes. You have to be ready for it. We didn't see too much of that. And I, I did think actually from a special teams perspective, we got to give them their, their roses when they're due, right? I thought that Florida's special teams play made a much bigger difference in this contest in the Gators winning than South Carolina did for their opportunities to win the game. They had a shanked punt. They did get a field goal block against the Gators that did kind of it proved critical. Absolutely. There were some decisions that I think the Gamecocks maybe would like to have back, but we've been critical of Florida special teams play. Just how pivotal was Trey Smack in your mind and just playing a clean, no penalties. Didn't look like to me that there were 10 men on the field at any times in those situations, seeing that improvement from Florida special teams play, that seemed to be a critical factor in my mind, having Trey Smack hit those four field goals, especially another long one. He hit one from 48 as well, another 50 plus yarder. Just how huge was that in your mind in a game, considering that the Gamecocks could have secured a victory with their special teams play. We've seen it just Florida getting that edge on special teams. How much can that mean for them moving forward in your mind? Well, look, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna broaden it out a little bit to start here, Graham. I think that this was as we talked about last week, kind of one of the phases of the game where Florida could set the tone. And it sounds weird, you know, in in the aftermath of a game where Florida scores 41 points and gets a win, but I would argue that it did set the tone in this game. Let's talk about an underrated play real quick. Uh, opening kickoff, South Carolina decides to go pooch kick, uh, kicks off to the Florida 18, and who's there to field it? Tyreek Sapp. Uh, the defensive lineman, he returns at 16 yards to the to the Florida 34. And, and right out the gate, uh, he broke a tackle on that return. And right out the gate, you have a, a positive special teams play where Florida immediately, you know, starts to win the hidden yardage game. And we talked to Billy Napier before the contest on Wednesday, and he told us this was one game of the season where the special, the hidden yardage special teams play in general was going to be critical in, in deciding its outcome. And I think that that's absolutely true. You know, Florida starts on the 34-yard line, goes down to, you know, marches and scores on its opening drive. It, it speaks to the start fast, the fat, the start fast mentality uh, that we knew Florida was trying to kind of carry into this game. Uh, you mentioned Trey Smack. He continues to be fantastic. He goes four for five on field goals, and the only one that he missed was blocked from 48 yards. But he does knock down from 48, 44, 28, 54. Uh, the 54-yarder ties his career long, which he set uh, against Tennessee. You know, special performance. That's only the 13th time in Florida history that a kicker converted from 54 or longer. Trey Smack now has two of those attempts, and, and he's good on both of them. Uh, I do wonder, you know, not to, to turn a positive into a negative, but I do have to, you know, wonder aloud here how in the world he was not Florida's starting kicker from the first second of the season. It is, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but it is unbelievably clear to me at this point that this is a guy who has much more leg talent than anybody else on Florida's roster. And, you know, don't get me wrong, that that's not to say that somebody like Adam Halleck is not talented in his own right and, and doesn't deserve an opportunity somewhere. Uh, but it is clear to me in a game where you need to play your most talented guys that, that Trey Smack is that. Uh, you know, just, you know, a, a really good, strong, accurate kick uh, 
fluid motion, doesn't seem to, to struggle, you know, with repeating mechanics, which I think is really important and something that we saw Adam Mahalik kind of have to toy with. And, and granted, you know, Mahalik is newer to, to, to the kicking game. Adam Mahalik is more of a soccer guy throughout his high school career and was, was recruited into football a little bit later uh, and, and got some opportunities as a result. But, but still, due to his newness, somebody that's had to kind of toy with mechanics and try and figure things out as a place kicker uh, more than somebody like Trey Smack, who was a five-star specialist coming into college, somebody who was nationally known for his bigger leg uh, accuracy, and, and and we're seeing those things. And so, uh, you know, I do I do wonder what happened. You know, where 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 was the the failure? And I'm not saying that it couldn't have been on Smack either. It's entirely possible that you know Smack might not have had the preseason that we heard about, but. You know, if if Adam Mahalik and Trey Smack are being honest with us in in what we talked about before the season, both of them said they were around ninety percent for field goal conversion throughout camp, uh, and and so at that point, it makes me wonder, you know, where the decision was made and how. Uh, but nonetheless, this is where Florida is at now, and that's what matters. Uh, and he is fantastic. I would still uh, like to see some better protections for for Ricky Pearsall on those punt returns. Uh, but, but, you know, that would be, you know, that's splitting hairs at this point in this game. Uh, this was a tone setting performance from Florida special teams. I hate that I have to say this again as news, but yes, Florida did have 11 players on the field for every special teams play. Now, you know, that's something that Florida's done, uh, in three games, I think so far this year, if not, sorry, it's even now or through, we're through set, we're through seven weeks. I think Florida's now four games, uh, with, with players all on the field at the same time needed where they're supposed to be and three games where they haven't, it's good to be on the plus side of that one. I think Uh, if you're the Gators, so yeah, you know, important. You talked about the the special teams missed cues uh, for a South Carolina team that isn't really known for that. Kai Kroger, the punter shanked a couple of punts, gave Florida some really good field position. And so, you know, those things were definitely a factor as well. So as much as Florida was able to set the tone, uh, I think South Carolina did itself no favors either. And the combination of that was probably Florida's best special teams performance of the season, even with a blocked kick. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can you can agree with me or disagree with me there, Graham, but I, I would go as far as to say it was the best one yet. Yeah, I don't want to put it all on the coaching staff, right, for Trey Smack not being the guy early on, because if you, like you said, if you even take Trey Smack's own words based on how he was up until this point, he acknowledged that he still had work to do from a preparation standpoint, which may surprise some people when you think, well, you know, it, he's a kicker. How much work could he have to do? But he was honest about where he was physically, his pregame routines, his practice routines. He had mentioned that he needed to get better even at stretching to maximize his capabilities. And I think if you even go back to last season, one of the things that kept him off the field was a lower body injury initially that was due to in from what we heard, maybe a preparation routine that needed some work. So I do think that maybe you have to give a little benefit of the doubt to the coaching staff here and not immediately going with smack, knowing that he had a little bit more work to do. And we have seen this coaching staff when they believe someone's practice preparation habits need a little bit of work, whether it was Prince Liam and Mielin last year, this coaching staff has sent a message to players by playing someone over them at times. And I do think that there's a possibility that that was the case here with Trey Mack. And so not to defend the coaching staff here, because I do agree it's clear that Trey Mack is the better of the two kickers. Maybe there's something that we didn't know about, haven't seen, hasn't been fully reported on that 
limited him initially. And I, I do think that he would tell you, I mean, he came out after that game where he had four field goals a few weeks ago and he said, I'm sore. I wasn't prepared to do both roles. He's really not been doing this too long where he's serving in both roles for Florida. I think you even saw some fatigue in his leg down the stretch of that game. I mean, he had a kickoff there that doesn't sail out of the end zone. The Gamecocks ended up taking it at the eight yard line. They don't get past the 25, but I think maybe that is a sign that this is a guy who still has a little bit of work to do when it comes to maximizing his capabilities from what he can do. But overall, I agree with you. An impressive performance from Florida's special teams. I, there's still some work that they can do moving forward, but they now have a week to do that. It is a critical bye week, and we are going to now talk about, to wrap up this episode, what Florida can do this bye week. And I, I'm going to go ahead and start. I said this in my column on Sunday morning. If you missed it, check it out at swamp247.com. I said of everything that Florida needs to do in this bye week, particularly when it comes to Graham Mertz, is just maximize the week of recovery. You know, you go back to last season, the Gators, where they were at, continued working throughout the bye week. Players didn't really have a, as much of a chance to go home. They stayed around the facility. I think that's going to be a lot of the case this season, this week, excuse me. But this is a week where they have to prioritize rest when they can. You mentioned that Graham Mertz has taken a lot of shots. They have had some players banged up, especially on the offensive line. We saw Trevor Etienne maybe still dealing with coming off of concussion-like symptoms. It seemed like he was maybe even a little bit hesitant to take some contact in that game against the Gamecocks. This is a week in my mind where Florida needs to rest up. You, you referenced the gauntlet that lies ahead. Bowl eligibility still one game away. There are winnable games in the schedule, whether it's Arkansas, at Missouri. LSU looks beatable. Georgia, you, do, you don't really know what can happen in that game with Brock Bowers being out, considering Georgia doesn't look as good as they have looked the past couple of years. In my mind, Jacob, this is a bye week where Florida has to get healthy. I understand that you're going to have to practice. You have to stay in a routine. But this is a chance, I think, where you can really rest your main guys a little bit more this week. Give them some time off because you know what lies ahead. You have to be ready coming out of this bye week. For you, just how critical is this bye week in your mind? And for Florida to have a chance at a lot of these games later in the season, what maybe some of the things that you think that they still have to work on this week? I know we just touched on a lot of them, but in your mind, just what are the important aspects of nailing down this week? Yeah, I'll start by saying this. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you really, uh, you know, if you really want to be in the know uh, for for Florida football and and what goes on behind the scenes and and how things operate, uh, I, I highly highly recommend that you subscribe to Swamp247.com uh, and gain access not only to our VIP content but also to our VIP message board. Uh, where you and I are sharing things all the time, insider notes just about the team and their operation, uh, you know, from injuries when Florida's playing to what I'm about to say right now, which is scheduling and practicing and, you know, how Florida handles uh, a bye week and, and preparing for a team like number one Georgia with, with a two-week gap uh, from game to game. Those are kind of the things that we're going to be getting into in great detail. And so, I would highly recommend that you take advantage of that if you're a Florida fan and you and you want access to the most inside information in the market. That's where it is. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is because you know today or tomorrow, taping Monday, uh, October 16th, we will have a story over at Swamp 247 on on how Florida is having a little bit of a different bye week uh, than it did last year. There have been some tweaks 
just in terms of the way that they're going to get rest uh, and and how they're distributing the workload throughout the week and making sure that players will not only have uh, an opportunity to get into the building and kind of work through some things like you and I have talked about throughout this episode, but also uh, to be able to go home or to be able to uh, you know sleep in on a day and 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 just stay home and, and stay away from the facility, which is really important. Uh, you know, in terms of mental preparation and you know being ready for a game like number one Georgia, that is super important, and also of course physical recovery. Uh, and so, you know, that is, of course, a priority. And I will agree with you there that this this is an opportunity for Florida to get mentally healed up and ready to go for, for the second very daunting half of their schedule, uh, and, but also physically. You, you know, we, we've seen Graham Mertz get banged up. Uh, I would argue that he's maybe even playing through some things right now that we don't necessarily hear about because he is on the field and, you know, you're, you're not pulling aside Graham Mertz and saying, hey, you know, what's hurt so other teams can can, can target that. And of course, Billy Napier would never divulge that kind of information so long as Mertz is in the game. Uh, but but I do think it's safe to say at this point that there are some maybe minor injuries uh, that Graham Mertz has just kind of tough manned through uh, and, and, and just kind of bit down and, and did what he needed to do. Opportunity for him to get right. We talk about Kingsley a lot. Kingsley Egwakon, Florida starting center on this show, pretty much every week at this point, just because of that ankle injury that he suffered in the preseason uh, and how that's impacted him so far. He's only played two games. That is somebody who, yeah, is, is really going to be looking to to get healthy this week. Didn't play at South Carolina. We spoke to Billy Napier about the potential benefit of getting Egwakon back-to-back off weeks in order to get right. That's huge. What what can he do in the recovery department with Florida's extensive staff uh, off the field in order to be able to get close to playing? I absolutely agree with you, Graham, that that's one big thing. The other, though, for me is on the field, uh, and that's trying to maintain some of the habits and the momentum that Florida was able to generate last week. Every player who we've talked to and Billy Napier have said in no uncertain terms that last week was their most productive, best week of practice to date of the season. What do you do now to maintain some of that? And and I'm not saying that it needs to be another vigorous week of practice where you're running players into the ground and you're having full force practices and risking guys getting hurt. That would be foolish, of course. And Florida's not doing that. But I do think that there is a lot of uh, merit to the argument that this is a good week for Florida to kind of stay in the lab to some degree, make sure that, you know, whatever it had cooking last week stays warm this week. And and so you can easily bring it back to boil when you're getting ready to face the university of Georgia. That's huge. And, and, And you're going into such a daunting matchup. Those are the kinds of little things in my opinion, that contribute to potential upsets and giving yourself as best a chance as possible against a team. Like let's not sugarcoat it. That is far better than you. You know, Florida. Florida is not even remotely the better team or as good a team as Georgia is right now. And I don't think anybody would argue that, even without Brock Bowers. But I do think that you start to take a look at things like Florida should have a pretty solid crowd there. Florida is the home team this year, the designated home team. Uh, Georgia will not have its best player on offense, and and you know you can say what you will about the quarterback play there. And and yes, Florida, Georgia's defense is very good. But what can a healthy, holding on to momentum Florida team do in that contest, whether that's make it look really competitive or even give itself a chance to win? I'm not sure. Uh, But I certainly think that it's something that has to be in consideration at this point. And part of that has to start with what you do during the bye week in terms of, you know, working your habits and making sure that players are to at least some degree staying in some sort of a groove where, you know, maybe some guys will go home and see family, but you know, are studying film and, and all Florida players have access to, you know, 
film and of the necessary electronics to be able to watch that kind of stuff. Let, you know, staying on top of players to being able to do those things is critical. And I expect Florida to give it a good effort uh, in order to be able to do that. But those are the priorities to me. Get healthy and, and find a way without burning guys out to be able to maintain momentum from a really great South Carolina week that spanned from Sunday to Saturday to making sure that that continues from Sunday to Saturday, but over a two-week period where you have a bye week and then you have to prepare for the best team on your schedule in terms of its ranking and, and just what it does to other SEC teams. Yeah, I do absolutely agree with you. I think that a balance between rest and staying in a rhythm is really critical for this team. Obviously, you don't want to avoid a setback, and I think that that could potentially come if you do maybe drop your guard a little bit. Not not to say that this team is susceptible to that, but I do think that there is an onus from this coaching staff to make sure that Florida keeps moving forward while, like you said, balancing, getting that rest for their critical guys. It's going to be really interesting to see how the Gators do that this week. We're going to talk to Billy Napier briefly on the SEC teleconference on Wednesday to get his thoughts on where the Gators are in the midst of practice that week. We won't have another episode on Thursday because the Gators aren't playing a game this week. So by the time you listen to our next episode next week, we'll have heard from Billy Napier twice as he will speak next Monday as well. So we'll have a lot more information on how the Gators fared throughout the bye week. We've outlined here what we think they need to do. Now let's see how it unfolds. Before we sign off for this episode, I just want to give a quick plug. We are not really going anywhere. I know it's a bye week, but we're going to still have tons of content at swamp247.com. Blake Alderman has you covered with where the Gators coaches are on the road. Check that out right now. Florida, as you said, is going to be making stops. It's today, Monday, and later in the week after practice. So look out for that information. And we're going to have some other sport coverage along with continued football coverage. Basketball coverage will continue to drop throughout this week, especially as we get closer to the start of basketball season. It's hard to believe that it's just three weeks away, but it is creeping up on us really quickly. So make sure you stay tuned to swamp247.com for all that information. And like Jacob said, if you're not subscribed yet, what are you waiting on? Take the plunge. Try us out for $1 right now for a month. If you like what you see, Join us full-time. We'd love to have you as a member. And also some baseball coverage next week. It's going to be here before we know it. Florida, Georgia, Fall Classic in Jacksonville before the Gators take on the Bulldogs in football. Jacob's going to be out there. So make sure you follow him on Twitter and follow him on the site. And that's going to do it for us for this bi-week episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. For Graham Hall and Jacob Rudner, we'll see you next time.